All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today I am giving you my scouting report of the Atlanta Falcons fifth round draft pick out of Notre Dame in edge rusher Ade Takumbo Ogundeji. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. I've been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at FalcFans.com, RIP, but still going strong on Twitter at FalcFans. And, of course, the host of this illustrious Lockdown Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode is my scouting report of Falcons 2021 draft pick at a Takumbo Ogundeji. But before we get into my breakdown, of Ade Ogundeji's strength, weaknesses, and NFL player comparisons to look at his potential in this league, I do want to plug the Peacock and Williamson podcast, one of the national podcasts covering the NFL right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Get analysis of every team and every move from NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson. And you can subscribe to the Peacock and Williamson podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. So I have so far correctly pronounced Ade Takumbo's full name twice successfully. And, you know, the pronunciation is tough. You know, the, the benefit that I, the knowledge that I know is that African names and uh, Polynesian names typically are, are pronounced phonetically. So you just kind of have to break it down. So it's Ade Tokumbo Ogun Deji. So we're going to refer to him as Ade because that's much easier to say or Ogun Deji. And I'm, I'm sure at some point in the future, I'll start calling him Ogun just because that's even easier to say. So, uh, you know, I would recommend if you're having trouble uh, with the pronunciation of his a name, uh, then you will also find similar sort of shorthands at A or Ogun uh, to help you out. But he was a, a two year starter in high school, kind of a late bloomer, one year starter at Notre Dame, didn't really start playing football until the eighth grade. Uh, was a 220 pound recruit based off of the recruiting websites I saw uh, before he showed up at Notre Dame. So obviously he bulked up considerably at Notre Dame. And that leads me to think that he could bulk up more in the NFL, but more on that later. You know, he was a player that I was aware of a year ago going into this past season, watching Notre Dame edge rushers that were in the 2020 draft of Julian Okwara and Khalid Kareem. And Ogundeji, as well as Dalen Hayes, the other edge rusher for Notre Dame this past year, were backups to Okwara and Kareem, and they kept flashing in those games where I was watching those other two guys, and I was intrigued by the potential. I'm not sure Ogundeji showed the growth that I was ideally hoping to see, considering the flashes that he showed, but I did think he did improve, and he did wind up becoming a team captain this past year in his lone season as a starter, so that says something about him. Um you know, and I, I think there was improvement, but it wasn't a situation where like everything came together. Um, and you know, given his background, the relatively limited experience, one does wonder a little bit if his best football is potentially ahead of him. You know, athletically, there are certainly things to work with, uh, with Ogundeji, especially his length, like, uh, Taquan Graham, the Falcons, other earlier fifth round pick that we did a scouting report on earlier. Um, he's, 
Ogundeji's got exceptionally long arms, 35 and a quarter inch arms, which is 93rd percentile for defensive ends, according to mockdraftable.com. Looking at, you know, arm length over the last decade or more uh, of draft prospects. And his athletic testing elsewhere was not bad. It was mostly average across the board. You know, in certain um, metrics and drills, he was tested below average. In other ones, he tested above average. So it wound up averaging about, you know, average when you're looking at 40s and and his jumps and his agility drills and whatnot. So he's probably an average athlete, at least for defensive end uh, in those other areas. So I, I do think it is fair to question a little bit about his upside as a pass rusher, uh, since that's going to be, you know, the one position, the one role in the NFL where, you know, we have a lot of data that tells us that athleticism tends to matter, particularly when it comes to a player's upside as a pass rusher and his potential to be a productive pass rusher at the next level. But I do think there's room for him to get better in that arena. And we will take a deeper look into how much room and and where he can get better as a pass rusher, as well as sort of what are already his strengths and weaknesses, not only as a pass rusher, but also as a run defender, and then talk about sort of his developmental timeline and his potential role in Atlanta. As we continue today's locked on Falcons scouting report of Ade Ogundeji. But before we get there, guys, I do have to plug the NBA side of the lockdown podcast network, where you can find a daily podcast devoted to your favorite NBA team, including the, those pesky Atlanta Hawks who have never met a 25 point uh, deficit that they couldn't overcome. Unlike some other teams, but check out the latest on the Hawks game five victory over the Philadelphia 76ers on the locked on Hawks podcast hosted by Brad Roland on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, who doesn't want instant gratification? If you're looking for satisfaction, there's no need to wait. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily instant karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card. And if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your instant karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in instant karma to over 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting open your fdic insured spend account for free there's no minimum balance requirements no overdraft fees and free withdrawals from a network of over fifty thousand atms right now visit creditkarma.com slash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma go to creditkarma.com slash win money to sign up for free and start winning instant karma that's creditkarma.com slash win money Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions in terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. So I think when you're looking at Ogundeji's ability as a pass rusher, the thing that really stand out to you is the length and also the fact that he is willing to use a variety of moves. Um, and I think that makes you think that he can get better as a pass rusher. We talked about it a bit when we talked about Jalen Mayfield, how linked is very meaningful when it comes to playing whether you're on the offensive line or defensive line, you know, if you're on the offensive line playing tackle or if you're a defensive lineman, you know, playing on the edge, right. And on the interior, like where Jalen Mayfield is expected to play, or if you're a defensive tackle link is not as important there. But, you know, the thing that stood out watching Ogundeji was, you know, in, in addition to that length was 
the variety of pass rush moves that he was going to throw out there. You saw various moves. You saw a forklift. You saw a bull rush, swipe, chop, stab moves, spin moves, long arm, etc. Now, I'm not sure any of those particular moves proved to be a polished go-to move. I would probably say probably his best move is either the stab, um, and then he can build off of that with a chop or a club or, you know, the long arm move, which is probably his most effective move. He plays with a high motor. You know, he got a number of the, I think 11 and a half or so sacks over the last two years on some cleanup plays. You know, he does have some experience playing inside. He did that from time to time at Notre Dame, particularly this past year, as well doing that somewhat in the senior bowl practice week. Um, he wasn't particularly effective when he was kicked inside, uh, but I think there is untapped potential and we'll get into sort of the exact reasons for that later. And speaking of the senior bowl, he did grade out as one of the better guys in one-on-ones, according to pro football focus, their charting had him with an 80% win rate on the five rushes he had in one-on-ones from the DN spot, which was among the highest rates uh, of anybody there at senior bowl week this past year. And then when he played on the interior, his win rate was only 33%, which was on the lower end of the uh, spectrum, whether you're talking strictly about the guys that were true defensive tackles or the defensive ends that also kicked inside. Um, so he's clearly a player that I think is more comfortable rushing from the edge and certainly rushes with more of a plan when he gets those, that time to set things up on the edge. And we talked about this specifically with Jalen Mayfield when it comes to um, edge rushers or offensive tackles, there is time to set things up. You often will get multiple steps before the engagement occurs. Let's say you, you get three or four steps or more uh, as an edge rusher or, or an offensive tackle before you have to initiate that engagement. Now, when you play inside, that engagement can occur on the first step or the second step. So things happen a lot quicker in inside. And it's very clear that one of the reasons why Ogundeji is not as effective inside is that plan of attack is not as refined given the increased speed of that interior engagement. And I also think there's still room for him to grow as an outside rusher, even though he uses a variety of moves. A lot of it seems to be him throwing different things at an offensive tackle, not because he's like stringing moves together and building off of one to the other, but it's mostly he's just throwing stuff at a wall and hoping something's going to stick. And another reason why I don't think he's as effective inside is because he doesn't have a ton of power. You look at his length and you sort of see the type of frame and body that says, okay, this guy's going to make his hay as a bull rusher, being able to get those hands inside, lock and extend and really get into the chest of opposing offensive linemen. But he really struggles to generate power in the lower half, which is key to a bull rush. You know, the bull rush is about getting those hands inside in that chest and then driving with that lower half, that, lower body explosiveness, like you're driving, you know, a, a blocking sled as an offensive tackle. It's a similar tactic. It's just, you're doing it to the offensive lineman, as opposed to the offensive lineman doing it to the defensive player. And, you know, that lack of power, that lack of lower body anchor, you know, is also reflected when you look at Ogundeji when he's playing against a run, he does not do a great job anchoring against a run. He can, has a tendency to get pushed around there, especially when he's playing inside. And so he's much more effective as a run defender playing on the outside when he can use his length to extend and set the edge against tackles and tight ends. Like you expected him to do as an outside linebacker. And I think one of the things that I think is going to be important for him in the future is he's going to have to bulk up and, and, and add some mass to his frame 
And I think that's where he'll probably potentially maximize his potential in the NFL if he can get up to like 275, possibly even 280 uh, in terms of poundage. But right now he's 260 or at least was 260 at his pro day. And that means he's going to play outside linebacker initially here in Atlanta. And I think that makes sense that when you watch them, you know, my impression post draft when I immediately watched him after the Falcons draft in that draft weekend was my impression that, Oh, he's going to need to get bigger and stronger because I don't know if he has a ton of upside as a pure edge rusher that he would be as a, as an outside linebacker in the Falcons, multiple fronts, three, four or playing the edge in the four, three that the Falcons are likely to employ. But I do think, you know, playing on the edge is going to ease his transition for him into the NFL. As I said, he's much more comfortable playing on the edge, whether that's as a pass rusher or, as a run defender. So I think his floor is much higher playing on the edge, but I think his ceiling is potentially lower playing on the edge than it would be if he adds the ability to get gain size, bulk up and be able to play a little bit more inside and be more of uh, a true defensive end or, or defensive lineman, you know? And I think while his ceiling isn't super high as a pass rusher, as an edge rusher, I do think he has room to get better there. I think if he can refine his pass rush plan and, and refine his moves, he can get better there. But I think ultimately his potential is low because unless he can get considerably stronger and become a much more effective bull rusher, I think relying on technique and hand usage while valuable is only going to get you so far in the NFL or at least get him so far in the NFL because he's not a player that has the athleticism to really bend the edge. He lacks that bend and short area quickness that when he does get to the corner, he's not going to be able to, to turn the corner in, in any serious way. He's not a guy that against NFL caliber offensive tackles is really going to challenge them to the edge, you know? And so instead of being a true sack artist, if he does develop as a pass rusher, he's going to be much more of a pressure guy than a guy that gets a ton of sacks. And you can compare that to a player like Tack McKinley, who had a similar build in terms of being super long with his arm length um, and also struggling to bend. But Tack had that explosiveness, that that first step quickness that he could challenge offensive tackles to the corner, even if he wasn't great at bending that corner. And it also that explosiveness allowed him to generate that short area power that made him a very effective bull rusher. And Ogunde Edgy doesn't really have that, you know, he's going to be able to generate more power if he can get bigger. But the problem with that is if he gets bigger, he's going to get slower. And so therefore it's even going to be more prominent that he has, he lacks that burst and that explosiveness to really challenge the edge against NFL caliber offensive tackles. And so he's going to be a player that's going to have to rely purely to win with technique and hand usage and his length and whatnot. And of course that, tends to take time in the NFL. You know, I do like the fact that he's, while he's trying a, a variety of moves, so he's not a guy that's going to be starting from scratch in terms of that technique, that the technical aspects of playing the position. And I do like the fact that he's shown relatively speaking, given the relative lack of experience that he has playing football, that he's shown a sort of natural proclivity to try a variety of moves and not necessarily be a guy that's going to rely purely on physical tools like most college pass rushers are. And so that tells you that maybe his starting point is higher than that. And there's more potential there to grow there. But, you know, unless he's really a prodigy in terms of his technique in developing there, it's still going to take him the better part of two or three years to even get competent there where he can use that against, you know, starting caliber offensive tackles. And 
that's time that two to three years is time that you would expect the Falcons are going to make significant upgrades as far as their outside linebacker and edge rushing group goes. You know, for instance, next year, you know, the expectation, at least I have, is that the Falcons are going to go out there and invest in that outside linebacker, that edge rusher position in the draft and free agency. And you're going to hopefully be able to find much better options than Ogan Deji. And that's not meant to be a put down again, him on him, but he's just simply not special in that regard where you're going to feel like, Oh, well, we don't need to draft this guy in in the early rounds, or we don't need to sign this veteran player because we can afford to wait on what Ogan Deji is going to be in a couple of years. You know, he's going to make his bones in the meantime. The good thing is that he's going to make his bones and make his money as a run defender on early downs. His upside as a pass rusher is a guy that can be a part of your rotation. And you think back to some of those other early down defenders that the Falcons had at the edge rusher position going back to like 2017 when they had Brooks Reed and Derek Shelby as their sort of rundown defensive ends. And Brooks Reed at his peak was a very capable number three in those years. Shelby was an adequate number four sort of in terms of his pass rush ability in those years. Um, you know, I think Ogan Deji has the upside to be like a three and a half, so to speak, where like if he's your fourth guy, you're going to be more than happy with him. But if he's your third guy, you're going to leave a little bit something wanting. Steven Means is another guy that's sort of in that sort of range in that as a three and a half, four type of guy. Um, so I, I feel like that's where Ogan Deji can contribute as a pass rusher. But you look at those guys and they contribute in the rotation on early downs on first and second downs. And you feel like they, they're not going to be complete liabilities pass rusher. Cause you know, in early downs, NFL teams tend to have a very balanced run versus pass attack. And so you need guys that are going to play on those early downs that can not only keep your true pass rushers, the, you know, the, the Dante Fowlers, the Grady Jarrett's, et cetera, other worlds fresh for passing downs, but also guys that can get some pressure when teams decide to drop back and throw in those early downs and not feel like those guys are liabilities. And that's why players like Brooks Reed will continue to have value, even if they're not big time pass rushers. And a lot, you know, a lot of fans look at these guys and say, how many sacks do you get? How good of a pass rusher? And your value is solely off of that. And for a lot of defensive ends, like they're not going to be big time pass rushers at the next level. So you get value, you add value to your team. If you can add value on early downs and also be a competent pass rusher. And I feel like Ogun Deji has the potential to develop into that type of player. But even if he does fully develop into that, I still think He's a, probably a guy that maxes out as maybe like a three to four sack guy is going to give you maybe 25 to 30 pressures max in a given season. But most years you're probably looking at one or two sacks, maybe 15, 20 pressures or so. And that type of player tends to get passed by the wayside unless he's a dominant run defender, which Ogundeji is not yet or really valuable in special teams. So in two to three years, that it takes Ogundeji to really develop and refine his pass rushing skill set. There's going to be two to three years or two to three off seasons where the Falcons are going to have multiple chances to add, you know, potentially four or five better players, whether that's in free agency with veterans that are a little bit more polished to him that can come in immediately and provide some of that value that you're looking for in the rotation or with premium draft picks that have a much higher upside to be much more productive players. If they develop, obviously, you know, if you have a guy that has the potential to be an eight sack guy, if you evaluate that guy as a draft pick, you know, you're going to give, Ogundeji snaps to that guy because you feel like, oh, if we develop this guy, you know, he's going to be eight sack guy while Ogundeji is going to max out at three and a half sacks. And so that's why I think he'll benefit from bulking up and developing into a type of guy that can be more effective rushing from the interior. 
And I think that also will help him stand out from those future outside linebackers. The Falcons might add because he'll have some added versatility. And I think if he can get stronger, he's the type of guy that could go from a pure edge outside linebacker in a three, four defense to a guy that could be a functional five technique defensive end that could play on the line, you know, as a defensive lineman in the three, four defense, but he's not that guy yet. And he's going to have to, it's going to take mass, you know, added mass, the more development. And, you know, I think, if he can get that, his limitations as a pass rusher probably won't be as big a concern playing as a as a quote unquote defensive lineman than they are playing as a pure edge rusher. You know, the fact that he doesn't bend the edge particularly well matters a lot less if he's rushing from the inside, right? And since his rush style is going to be more of a pressure guy than a sack guy anyway, you know, all you kind of want him to do if he's going to rush from the inside is collapse that pocket from the interior when those better edge rushers that the Falcons may wind up adding are now forcing the quarterback with their speed rushes to force the quarterback to step up in the pocket. And with him collapsing, you know, the pocket from the interior, that that's sort of a better combination. So I think he's definitely more of a project as an interior guy. And I think he's going to have to add bulk again, probably get up to that 275 to 280 pound range potentially. But I think a year from now, when one hopes or assumes that the Falcons are going to start making those bigger investments in their edge rushers, you know, I think Ogan Deji is a guy that you would look to add a little bit more mass and become more of that base or strong side defensive end when the Falcons are utilizing those four man fronts or whatever the case may be. You know, he's never going to be a, a, a true three, four defensive end like a Taquan or a Taquan Graham, but like he can be a guy that can, you know, play on the outside side, play on the edge and, and give you a little bit more value as a run defender. And I think if Ogundeji can successfully make that transition, it's going to allow him to have potential longevity here in Atlanta and give him the time that he really does need to develop into a solid rotational player. But if the Falcons sort of insist on keeping him as a pure outside linebacker, pure edge rusher, you know, I just don't see him having the sticking power to last more than two or three years here in Atlanta, unless he can prove himself to be an exceptional special teams player. And while I don't think it's impossible for him to turn into a capable special teams player. That seems like a pretty low percentage bet. So we're going to continue today's episode by talking about Ogun Deji's floor, his ceiling and his eye level, meaning what type of player does he compare to in the NFL starting out in the NFL? What is sort of his max potential, that ceiling in terms of what he could be, you know, four or five years down the road. And then looking at his eye level, which is the halfway point and the more realistic expectation for what type of player Ogun Deji is going to become in the NFL. NFL. And we'll get into that as we wrap up today's Lockdown Falcons podcast. But we're talking about, you know, low percentage bets with terms of Ogundeji playing special teams. You know, if you want to make high percentage bets, by all means, you should be checking out the Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. You can find the Locked on Bets podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So when we're talking about the Falcons draft picks, we're talking about whether or not the team has found the right parts to build up their roster. And when we're talking about finding the right parts, you know, there's a website for finding those right parts for your car. And that's rockauto.com. They have everything from engine parts, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. You can get everything you need in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique. It's easy to navigate and you can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose by brand specification and the price that you prefer. And those prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low. The same for professionals and do it yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Just go to Rock 
rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck, right? Locked on in the, how did you hear about us box? So that they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com. Did you guys know that Built Bar, which is the best tasting protein bar on the market, has nine delicious flavors? Whether you're a big fan of the coconut almond like me or you prefer cookies and cream, mint brownie, double chocolate, cherry barcia, peanut butter, brownie, salted caramel, coconut or raspberry. There's something for everyone. And there's also the occasional limited time flavor like the banana nut bread. And you can try them all with a mix box, getting two each of all nine flavors. Built Bars contain 100% real chocolate, so they taste just like a candy bar. And it's not just about their great taste. It's about how healthy they are. They're low in sugar and calories, high in protein and fiber. I like using them as low-calorie meal replacement for breakfast and lunch. You can use them to give yourself an energy boost pre- or post-workout as you work your way into that summer beach body now that quarantine has been lifted. Use Built Bars however you want. Just head over to the website at BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCK15, and you'll get 15% off your first order. Try the banana nut bread with the promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. So looking at Ade Ogundeji's floor, which is where his starting point is, which is the player, if there is a game played tomorrow, this is the player, the NFL player that I would compare him to in terms of where I would project him into league. And the player I picked was Lyndon Trail. And Trail is a guy that probably most of you haven't heard of because he kind of bounced around the league. He was uh, a guy that looked the part, you know, in terms of his size being 6'7", 270 pounds with the length of 35 inch arms coming out of Norfolk State back in 2015. And like Ogandeji, he wasn't an exceptional athlete. But if you watch the Houston Texans season of hard knocks, I think in 2015, he was a guy that you saw a lot because Mike Vrabel, the outside linebackers coach of the Texans back then, was trying to light a fire on him because they saw that sort of potential that he had, but they couldn't quite get it lit. And he wound up being cut by the Texans that summer. He landed on Washington's practice squad and then, you know, spent two years there on the practice squad. But then. Um, in 2017, he got hurt and basically his NFL career was done after that point, after two years. And he did get a couple more chances in the CFL and the arena league after that. And he wound up playing just two games in the NFL with Washington in 2016. And despite his potential and upside, you know, he just was unable to crack the lineup. And I could see that being sort of the starting point for Ogun Deji. And while I do hope Ogun Deji is going to be a little bit more than a practice squad player and should get some opportunities to play this year because of his draft status, I do wonder how much playing time he's going to get as a rookie playing behind guys like Fowler and Barkevious Mingle and Steven Means and Jacob Tewody Mariner at the outside linebacker position. In addition to guys like Michael Walker and Brandon Copeland that can also serve as outside linebackers in a pinch and have experience there. And it wouldn't be shocked for me, at least if Ogundeji is inactive most weeks this year, uh, because, you know, you look at those guys potentially ahead of him on the depth chart with the exception of Fowler and means all of those guys have extensive special teams experience. And so it's going to be hard for Ogundeji to be active on game days because he's not going to be able to bring the same value on defense. And then he's not going to bring the same value on special teams. So he might wind up being inactive most weeks. And as I mentioned earlier, next year, if and when the Falcons revamp their position group and bring in, you know, a variety of experienced veterans as well as higher round draft picks at that edge rusher group, 
you know, even if Ogundeji is poised to make that year two leap, he might get passed by the wayside. You know, you look at Trail in Washington, where he not only joined a team that already had players like Ryan Kerrigan and Trent Murphy on the outside, but, you know, over the three years that Trail was there in Washington, you know, fighting for a roster spot, they drafted guys like Preston Smith and Ryan Anderson in early round picks. And so it became virtually impossible for him to really climb the depth chart as an outside linebacker, my concern with Ogundeji is he could find himself in a similar situation where, you know, he's good enough to stick around as a back end roster guy or practice squad guy for a couple of years, but eventually you're just going to move on because the upside just doesn't necessarily merit him being around for more than a couple seasons like it was with trail. And, you know, he's a player that like trail could be out of the league in three or four years. And it's not because he lacks the talent to play in the NFL, but his talent was never good enough that would sort of garner him the opportunity to really get that opportunity to stick in the team. So I think that's really where Ogundeji's floor is at. Looking at the opposite end in terms of the max potential that I think Ogundeji has as a player, the ceiling, um, I, I came up with Carl Nassib. And Nassib was a little bit bigger than Ogundeji coming into the league, coming out of Penn State in 2016 as a third-round pick at 277 pounds. And he was too drafted when the Browns were a 3-4 scheme in that year and played outside linebacker initially. Then the Browns uh, changed coaches, as they often did for basically the last decade, and then moved to a 4-3 defense under Greg Williams the following year. And, you know, the thing that helped Nassib because he played early is he benefited from going to a Browns team that did not have a lot of established pass rushers early on. So he did get to play early on. But similar to a situation with Trail, the Browns did start to invest more in their pass rush in subsequent years and started hitting on those players. And obviously you have picks like Miles Garrett in 2017. Then they drafted two edge rushers and Chad Thomas and Jannard Avery in 2018. And then Nassib wound up getting cut in 2018. The, the Mike Smith uh led Buccaneers defense scooped him up in that 2018 season. And he actually turned a pretty decent season, you know, over the next two years with the Buccaneers as, as a backup. And that first year he was the main edge rusher opposite JPP that year um, and had a pretty productive year. I think he had like six sacks that year. But obviously, you know, the following year, the Bucks still went out there and got Shaq Barrett and then drafted Anthony Nelson in round four. And then, you know, Nassib was relegated to the being a bench player. Then he signed with the Raiders in 2020, was a competent number three for them this past year. But of course, that the Raiders went out and upgraded their edge rusher group by signing Yannick Ngakwe this past offseason, as well as drafting Malcolm Kuntz in round three. And so ultimately, Nassib's fate is a kind of a journeyman player that is a competent number three um, and has averaged four and and a half sacks and 30 pressures over the last four years. But as we've consistently seen, he's not a good enough number three that's going to stop his respective teams, whether that was Cleveland, Tampa Bay, or, and now the Raiders you know, going out the following year and, and, and upgrading that or trying to upgrade that position in free agency or with premium draft picks. And, you know, Nassib has some versatility has experience as a stand-up player from his three, four days, you know, spent the bulk of his career playing as a defensive end, but has occasionally been asked to kick inside as a pass rusher and has added some value in that arena. But a lot of his production comes off of effort because he's not a particularly athletic, not a particularly powerful or skilled pass rusher. And, you know, I think Ogundeji, it's going to get some opportunities to play early in his career, but probably not to the degree that Nassib got, but you never know with injuries. But I think ultimately if Ogundeji does hit, he's going to develop into a player like Nassib that can be a functional number three, but ideally is a number four, you know, 
going back to that three and a half thing that I, I mentioned earlier, and he get, has the versatility to do different things, and you he can give you value on early downs, but it's always going to feel like a, a player that teams are going to look at, like, can we do better than this? And I think, you know, that's still a player that can wind up having a very long, productive NFL career. You know, Ogun Deji might be able to play eight to 10 years in the NFL, but it might just be with like five or six teams. You know, Nassib's already on his third team in five years. And my guess is the Raiders will probably cut him after this season. And you probably won't have problem finding a, a fourth team in six years and so on and so forth. So he's, he's probably going to stick around for several more years, but it might be with, you know, two or three more teams over the next three or four years. Um, and so I think with Ogun Deji, even if he does manage to stick in Atlanta for that period of time, rather than bouncing, you know, and being a journeyman uh, with various teams, you know, I think Ogun Deji would wind up being a player that we would often joke about, you know, oh, he's going to be on the roster bubble every single summer, but somehow manages to survive just because the coaching staff has a soft spot for him. And it's understandable why they would, because he is coachable. He does play with a high amount of effort and can turn into that player that's willing to do some of that dirty work that maybe some higher profile players are less willing to do. And, you know, we'll be wondering sort of, okay, how does this guy still manage to stick on this roster, even though he only has like eight combined sacks over the last five years here in Atlanta? And so that I could see Ogun Deji being that type of player. And that sort of leads us to where my eye level is for um, Ogun Deji, because I will compare him in terms of that halfway point between the floor and the ceiling and in terms of what I think is realistically the type of player that he will turn into in the NFL is a guy that had seven sacks across five seasons in the NFL. And that was Will Clark, formerly of the Bengals and Buccaneers. Clark was originally a 2014 third round pick with the Bengals and was able to develop somewhat in Cincinnati over his first three years in the NFL, playing as a backup and playing on early downs behind guys like Carlos Dunlap and Michael Johnson. But he was never able really to climb out of being more than the fourth defensive end in their rotation. And like the aforementioned guys in comparisons that we made, you know, the Bengals then in 2017 going into Clark's fourth NFL season made significant investments at their D in spot, drafting guys at like Carl Lawson and Jordan Willis with early round picks. And Clark just couldn't stick anymore. Now he wound up getting scooped up by the Bucks in 2017, again coached by Mike Smith, and wound up being a teammate of Nassib in 2018, but did see decreased playing time with Nassib coming in the following year in 2018 and was cut the following year. And he did, you know, Clark wound up playing in the XFL in 2020. And that did lead to him getting some opportunities and, and teams like the Lions and Saints kicking their tires with him this past year. But he just has not been able to really stick in the NFL the last three years. And Clark, like Ogandeji, is a bigger, longer guy. Clark was 6'6", 271 coming in to the NFL with nearly 35-inch arms, but also not a premier athlete, was more of a raw guy that had some upside that kind of got pushed up the board in that 2014 draft, in my opinion, because you didn't have a great edge crop and there was a run on guys in the first and second round. Um, and Clark got pushed into the, into the third round. And I think the, the big issue with Clark was that he never turned into a reliable run defender. He was competent there, but in his third and final year in Cincinnati, you know, his limitations as a pass rusher showed, and that led to the Bengals wound up drafting those better options and guys like Lawson and Willis the following year. And his run defense wasn't good enough to sort of allow him to maintain a, a key role in that rotation with that young talent coming in the following year. As I said, you know, you might as well give those snaps to better players, at least players with much more upside. And that's sort of led to Clark getting ousted in um, Cincinnati and going to Tampa Bay. And while I came away watching the film 
of Ogundeji and having a greater appreciation of his skill set, I'm not at all confident that we won't see a situation similar to what we saw with Clark, where we're going to get in a situation three years from now where we're going to sit there and say like, you know, or the Falcons aren't going to sit there and say like, oh, no, we're not going to draft the pass rusher in round two or three, or we're not going to sign this free agent because we have Ade Ogundeji. And I don't think you're going to see that scenario play out. And so you're going to see the team wind up investing in those positions over the next couple of years. And that will lead to Ogundeji sort of being stuck at the bottom of the depth chart. And, I, you know, what's interesting about Clark in particular, and it goes back to a point I made earlier, is that in addition in that 2017 offseason when the, the Bengals drafted Lawson and Jordan Willis, they also signed Chris Smith in free agency, whose primary value with the Bengals that fall was a guy that was a situational pass rusher that could kick inside. And so... You know, he was able to stick in Cincinnati and be productive in Cincinnati that year by being the guy that lined up next to Geno Atkins as the interior rusher when you had guys like Carlos Dunlap and Carl Lawson and Michael Johnson, some combination of those guys playing on the outside. So, you know, Smith, if if Clark was able to sort of develop that ability again, going back to what we said of having that flexibility to kick inside, he could have been able to beat out a guy like Smith and maybe kept hold on to his job. And I think a similar situation would happen with Ogundeji that in a future, if, and when the Falcons find better edge rushers, Ogundeji can still stick. If he has that versatility to kick inside as a pass rusher, while also still giving you value uh, as an early down run defender on the outside as a defensive end. So I think Ogundeji is a bit of a project in terms of, if he's going to have long-term value here in Atlanta, the player that he's going to have to become three or, or more years down the road is very different from the player that he is today. But I don't think he's like a project in the sense of like, he can't contribute or he's super raw or whatever the case may be. He certainly has a role in Atlanta early on. I just don't know if it's going to be a, a particularly valuable enough role, or he's going to come in and excel in that role enough for the Falcons to be like, yeah, we're not going to go out there and, and spend, you know, the $30 million in, in salary cap space or whatever uh, that the Falcons might have next year and say, Oh, we're not going to use a big chunk of that to go out there and get a pass rusher. That's an upgrade over Dante Fowler, or we're not going to go out there and use a day one or day two draft pick on an edge rusher. That's going to come in and, and, and step in for Ogundeji. And then you have, have guys like, you know, Jacob Tuoti Mariner that also are capable run defenders that can play on the edge, but also give you value on special teams. And you wonder if that player is going to have a little bit more value to the roster next year than a player like Ogundeji, if he can't necessarily surpass a player like Jacob Tuoti Mariner in one of those avenues, whether it's special teams, whether it's run defense or whatever the case may be. So it's hard for me to be super optimistic that Ogan Deji is going to be this valuable piece that's going to play in Atlanta for years and years. Um, if I, again, if I was making a prediction and again, it, it sounds harsh, but I would be surprised at this point if he's still on the roster by the end of his rookie contract. But I think he has the potential to be that guy. I think he's a good player. I just don't know if Atlanta's basically the, the the ideal scenario for him to come into and really carve out a role just because I think the Falcons not only have better players currently on their team, but there's nothing really stopping the Falcons from getting better players in the future uh, of Ogan Deji. So we'll see if he uh, surprises me in that regard. We'll see how he develops and, and maybe he wind up done. I, I did come away appreciating the player a lot more watching the film, but I just don't know if this is the great, the best environment for him to get the most out of his ability. Uh, but we'll just sort of see how that develops. And, um, you know, that is it for the week guys. I know this was a three show week and, 
you know, I'm hoping that we'll at least do four shows next week, but we'll definitely do at least three shows and hopefully we'll be able to wrap up two of those shows will be the Avery Williams and Frank Darby scouting reports. And then the third show should at least be a Q and a, um, but in addition, there may be other opportunities for us to have guests and to have other, you know, topics discussed on the show. And if you want to send in your questions, send in your suggestions for future topics of the show, uh, of course, you can do so by hitting me up on Twitter at Lockdown Falcons, on Facebook at Lockdown Falcons, or you can send an email to LockdownFalcons at mail.com. You know, you can send response to, to those accounts saying why you think I'm wrong on Ogundeji, why I'm too low on Ogundeji, or why you're high on Ogundeji, or the opposite, whatever the case may be. I, I welcome all your feedback, guys, but I appreciate it. Have a great weekend.